0: Come on.
1: Welcome to Lightblood. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Brian Lee. Brian, are you ready to do this?
0: I am. Thanks for having me on, George.
1: Yeah. Excited to have you on. Brian is a CFA. He is the chief investment officer at Blue Zone Wealth Advisors. Brian, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do.
0: Sure. So, so I'm a am uh, the chief investment officer at, at Blue Zone Wealth Advisors here in Los Angeles, California. So I, uh, you know, balance my time between, um, you know, finding, good investments here in the in the stock market and then trying to get to the beach when uh, when the weather permits um and so the idea behind um our firm blue zone is that there are basically five unique areas around the world that are considered blue zones and what researchers have found is that people living in these blue zones have lived beyond 100 years of age uh, pretty consistently and so not only have they lived long lives, but they've, they've lived um, you know, really stress-free fulfilling lives. And so we took that concept um, in terms of just the blue zone philosophy and tried to apply it to your financial health and wealth. And so you know, one way to do that is to generate excess returns in the stock market um, on a risk adjusted basis. And so, you know, that's kind of where I come into play. Um, And I try to deliver, you know, quality um, returns in the stock market for for our investors um, without taking on, you know, outsized risks and, um, you know, being very methodical about what um, companies we're going to invest in.
1: Nice, appreciate that. Yeah, it's fascinating. Blue zones. And I, I forget where they are. We don't necessarily need to talk about that, but it is, it is interesting, certainly. And a lot of time and money has been spent studying those. So
0: yeah, yeah. And it's it's very interesting because there's so much focus on your your health and your physical health. But you know, there there is a part of that to be able to say, well, we want to take care of your financial health. And with not having to focus on your financial health, you can then spend more time on your physical health and hopefully live to beyond a hundred years and be a centurion.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that. It's interesting, right? That there's, you know, some people are super passionate about investments, people like you, and then there's folks who are probably interested in understanding what it is that you're working on, but they don't want to spend a ton of time thinking about it and, and looking at it. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I, you know, from, from my perspective, I try to keep, um you know my investment philosophy to to be pretty straightforward and simple and so from a high level we focus on investing in high quality recurring revenue businesses with great balance sheets um and companies that have monopolistic type characteristics that are not only um you know that we see have growth but but can see durable growth in their business model whether they're participating in some sort of secular growth in the economy um, or they're creating um, new addressable markets to participate in and expanding you know their, their overall businesses
1: yeah i yeah. appreciate that so is there a certain size company that you say okay this is or or, or is it all over the board This episode is brought to you by Money Alignment Academy. If you are looking for a financial wellness platform for your company, your organization, and your employees, check out moneyalignmentacademy.com or click on the link in the notes of the show.
0: We try to be agnostic in terms of relative size, but just given the fact that we do focus on businesses that have large market shares and have a competitive advantage it typically skews towards the larger companies um however there are some emerging companies that are really taking share in the the new digital economy um, that can be considered smaller but are showing you know really robust growth in terms of year over year um, not only top line, but but uh, you know operating cash flow growth, um, partially because they're they're really coming off a low base. But um, you know the the world is changing, and the speed in which these companies are able to innovate and the adoption is is happening at such a rapid clip. And you know, in particularly after 2020. In the covid world there's there's been more companies that have decided to accelerate the shift um to whether it's e-commerce or just participating in the digital economy um so those those companies are certainly beneficiaries of that and can be considered you know smaller or or middle mid-cap type companies
1: yeah i mean i bet that there's just hundreds if not thousands of companies that are Probably pretty significant players in this new digital economy that I've never even heard of. I didn't even realize existed.
0: Yeah. So it's it's interesting. A lot of them, if if you paid attention pre-pandemic, they had very solid business models and were able to show really good growth. I think what 2020 did was it it really pulled forward some of the demand and accelerated their business overnight um and on on top of that you had some companies that were hesitant to change and adapt but they they quickly found that if you if you shy away from that that inevitable change you're really going to be left uh, left behind and and at a competitive disadvantage and so um it's it's been great to see um and even though we've seen A lot of change and growth over the past year. We're still in early innings, so it's always important to understand where we are in terms of the business cycle, in terms of the shift to the cloud, yeah, e-commerce penetration, um, you know, things of that nature.
1: Yeah, totally fascinating, right? That so many things will come out of 2020, right? And, And and the pandemic, but one of those things is just seeing the speed of innovation if it's the vaccine or if it's companies that are stepping up or on the flip side of the coin like you were just talking about companies that decided not to for whatever reason and they've just gotten passed by so
0: sure yeah and on the on the flip side of the coin you know if you just go back call it six eight months ago there were predictions of certain business models just going to zero and and, and not existing in the future. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're seeing cracks in those thesis, um, to a certain extent in particular, uh, you know, commercial office, uh, real estate, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody was really calling for the, for the death of the office. And I do believe that for certain companies, this work from home model is going to exist into perpetuity. Uh, however, there are other businesses that are already coming out and saying that once they're employee base has been vaccinated and feel comfortable that they're going to start to gradually reopen the office. Um, And so understanding that the new normal might be more of a a hybrid approach. Um, And in some cases, depending on the city and the, the company, they might, some companies might actually need more office space, which is counterintuitive to what one might have believed just six months ago where it went from, well, everybody's going to cancel their office space to now rethinking the office setup and understanding that, okay, maybe squishing people into these small areas might not in in the new COVID world. And so getting more space, which actually would be a benefit to some of these commercial office uh, real estate operators, um, you know m- might occur so it's very interesting to see how quickly things can change um predictions and then in a short time how those predictions either come true or can be you know very wrong in a way
1: that's that that, that that's fascinating that potentially coming out of COVID would mean that there's bigger and more space necessary because of social distancing. Who would have, I hadn't really even considered that until, until just, just right now, Brian.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very <laughs> interesting. And, and even, you know, in, in March, everybody was predicting, um, you know, single family housing to, to really freeze and, and get a call it 08, 09 type collapse. And, now we're seeing, you know, the housing market is just on fire with, you know, interest rates dropping to to record lows, um, and and you know most cities' uh, inventory is less than a, a month supply, and people are applying for homes on a Friday, finding out whether or not they get them on a Monday, and they're they're paying over asking, so. You know there are pockets of the economy that are that are really hot right now. Um, you know, and so it's a, it's an interesting dynamic as we as we come out of this you know COVID
1: freeze. Yeah, it's super interesting. As- <laughs> You were sitting there like p- people like me, Brian, I'm just looking at it because it's interesting. You're looking at it with the lens of trying to make good investment decisions. And he talked about how you're working to uh, create excess returns on a risk adjusted basis. And sometimes when I hear just risk adjusted basis, I'm like, okay, I guess I know what that means, but what does that really mean from your perspective?
0: <laughs> you know, I think it's under, it's before you, 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 initiate a, a position or invest in a company, it's important to understand the downside risk and how, how much it's possible you're, you you could lose um, if you are wrong. And so if you think about the future as, as basically a set of different al- outcomes um, with probabilities associated with those different outcomes. And then if you, you try your best to associate a price for the stock or the company, assuming those outcomes occur. And inevitably at the end of the day, there's only one outcome that happens in the future. However, nobody knows what that outcome is gonna be at that time. And so you can also think about risk in terms of if the dispersion of outcomes is is wider, then inherently the investment has um, slightly more risk to it. Also, risk is inversely correlated with price. Theoretically, the lower the price you pay for a business, the less risk. Um, with that being said, uh, you know, w- we try to understand the downside, understand what the business is worth, and then try to find the really the, the most attractive risk return. Um, profile for, for a company. And with the understanding that the business, we want to own it. It checks all the boxes in terms of the extensive criteria we look at um, and has the ability to not only grow this year, but has that durable growth profile. Um, you know, the, the other thing that's um, a tenant of our investment philosophy is we, we look for businesses that have a recurring revenue model. Partially because current sales don't necessarily compete with future sales. You know, if you think about somebody going out and buying a refrigerator, that's great, but you're not going to need a new refrigerator every year. And so we should we typically shy away from those businesses. So um, very uh, businesses like um, you know a good example is Starbucks. Consumers are constantly going back to Starbucks, sometimes multiple times in a day to get their coffee fix. And so past sales don't necessarily compete with future sales. Um, there is a some sort of level of predictability um, that consumers are gonna go back to get more coffee. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that's, that's great about Starbucks um, is that they have a great management team and they have the ability and willingness to adapt. Um, what they did in COVID is they, they shifted a lot of their business to their mobile app. And so they may not be a technology company, but they're certainly a big user of technology. Um, and they also realized that there was this you know, large migration from urban cities to suburbs and what they did was they flexed their drive-through capabilities, and were able to capture a lot of that volume um, that shifted away from their, you know, larger stores in in New York City to the outskirts in Connecticut.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I I really like that idea that past sales don't compete with future sales with with a company like Starbucks. Versus if I was a water heater company, then I'd probably only selling one, and then uh, and then I'm in competition with myself up until the water heater breaks um (laughs) interesting and then also that 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 if there were a company like um sort of like amazon but not like amazon and i don't know what amazon's trading at today let's let's say it's trading at a thousand dollars a share Mm -hmm. and i can get uh i can get xyz company that does you know an e-commerce marketplace for a hundred bucks a share. Sure. The risk is theoretically speaking lower because the cost of a share of XYZ company is lower, but um, not necessarily from a business model standpoint. Sure. Yeah, I- exactly. And, you know, the other thing
0: that people need to understand is financial leverage in the business, you know, has a lot to do with the risk associated with the position. Um, and so, if a company has a lot of debt on the balance sheet and ultimately can, you know, generate good operating leverage and sales performance, it will have somewhat of an amplifier effect on the equity value of the company. And so you're going to see the share price move, um, you know, uh, more than you would expect on an equally uh, equal company with lower leverage. So that would benefit to the upside. Conversely, if the sales disappointed, you're going to see that compound and amplifier effect on the downside. So, it's important to understand what kind of, you know, financial leverage that the company is it has currently and their plans to reduce that debt or if they're comfortable with that leverage. So, um, you know, but you know, largely speaking, I don't we don't shy away from those. We just understand what we're investing in. Um, you know, one one company we we purchased somewhat in the depths of the the crisis last year was a company called U S foods and they deliver food to independent grocery stores and, but primarily independent restaurants. Well, everybody knew that restaurants were shutting down, indoor dining was shut, their volumes uh, essentially collapsed and pre pandemic U S foods had a little more financial leverage than we would be comfortable with. However, We took a step back and saw the stock drop 50% and said, well, the underlying business is relatively stable in a normal world. Restaurant owners are extremely entrepreneurial. We think that they'll figure it out, although a lot of restaurants will close. Even just going down the street, we're seeing um, independent restaurants pivot to pick up Uber Eats is helping out independent restaurants gain access to more customers. Over time, they'll figure it out. And once people feel more comfortable leaving the house, we feel like the first splurge a family will, will do is to go out to eat. And so we were um, able to scoop up shares at, a, at what we felt were depressed levels and the stocks basically doubled um since then, and we believe they they um, you know really did a good job during the pandemic to shift more customers onto their digital platform. So they participated in the the digital acceleration. and also they took share because you know the the food distribution business is highly fragmented.
1: Yeah, nice. love it. Well, Brian, the people are ready for your difference. making tip. What do you have for them?
0: Yeah, I would just say when um, in the context of investing in the stock market, you know, always take in mind that sometimes the the price paid for outperformance is day-to-day volatility. So try not to get too up or too down when stock prices, you know, move intraday or day-to-day and really just take a step back and and focus on the long-term and understand that if you're going to, you know, invest in in a company, you know, one of the the interesting um, theories out there is to to think about putting it in a coffee can and burying that. And if if you're okay with holding this company for three to five years, then it's a great investment, and and you should you should take that risk and then really not not worry about the day to day swings.
1: Well, I think that that is great stuff. It definitely gets come on, come on. It's a cool way to think about it, right there. Just throw that stock in a coffee can. <laughs> dig a hole in the backyard and fill it in and dig it up five years later. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Sure.
0: So we have a website, bluezoneadvisory.com. Um, you can read about our philosophy and how we think about things. Um, and so that's that's the best way to reach out.
1: Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Brian your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to BlueZoneAdvisory.com. Check out everything that Brian's working on, all the great resources. Thanks again, Brian.
0: Thanks, George.
1: And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.